We have the notes for you and for... Okay, so uh, we have here learning dedicated in memory of Dvorah Fege Bat Shmuel Zichronal and for the Rafur Shlema of Yibod L'chaim Tev Maruchim Leah Bat Rachel Yaakov Ben Penina Menachem Mendel Ben Sorabatya. Also, I want to add on uh, Razel Bas Miriam, and I want to add on Sternus uh, Mezni Simcha Bas Yaniv, and also special class sponsors Anonymous for the Rafur Shlema of Shmuel Chaim Ben Rivka Leah, Chana Ruth Bat Tauba. In memory of her parents, Tuvia ben Chana and Taubo Batchaya, Zichronal Avracha, who were Holocaust survivors, made the Nishamot have an Aliyah. In memory of Devorah Fega Bat Zeshmu, Zichronal Avracha, and Yibod Lachaim Tev Maruchim, and for Rafu Shleimah of Leah Bat Rochel, Menachem Benlo Bat Sarabatia, and Yaakov and Penina. Okay. Ah. So. Today's title is The Power of Saying Baruch Hashem. Subtitle, Entering into a Life of Gratitude and Praise. Okay? So, we have some newcomers. So I will share with you the way we work here is we take a modern day issue, something that every, any and every one of us can be struggling with. Then we go into the mystical side of it. And then we come back to the practical. So, we're going to discuss a modern-day issue. I'm going to give you a list of mystical topics that we have to explore today. We're going to explore it, and then we'll get back to the, uh, we'll get back to the practical issue. So, the modern-day issue to be dealt with in this lecture is the power of speech. Not in what our speech does to others as much as what it does for or to ourselves. Let us begin with the question of which came first, the chicken or the egg? In other words... What do I mean here with the chicken and the egg? When someone uses cynicism, cockiness, or negativity as a way of speech, which came first? His being cynical, cocky, or negative? Or did he first begin to speak this way, which then turned him that way? So is a speech an expression of who we are? Or does speech turn us into being like the way we speak? So I am going to suggest one of two following possibilities, as I see it. Number one, his form of speech was actually a form of emotional self-protection, and that in truth he was neither cynical, cocky, or negative. Speaking this way was just his way of not allowing himself to get hurt by expectations, to peer pressure, or to criticism. And now, after speaking this way, he has become cynical, cocky, or negative. So I'm going to suggest that most people who speak this way, by the way, just, just that uh, interesting, I actually did this study. Um, you're cynical with a kid and they get this confused look on their face. Children do not understand cynicism. Thus, we're going to say that people aren't born cynical. They pick it up. And I'm going to suggest here in what I'm saying is that people use cynicism, pessimism, as a way to protect himself from getting hurt. It's not that they really are pessimistic, it's not that they really are um, cynical, they're just afraid to be optimistic, they don't wanna get hurt by expectations, and they're afraid to leave themselves open for criticism, so cynical is the best way. Yeah, 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 yeah right, oh, okay, okay. And there you go, you just protected yourself. 
Okay? That's one suggestion. Another suggestion is that even at a point where there may be some of these, these traits within us, but they're soft and few, which now became exasperated and developed to uncontrollable patterns. At this point, it's uncontrollable in this individual being a pessimist or a cynical person, simply because throughout his whole adolescence and on, he just started talking that way and eventually became that way and it just became really uncontrollable, okay? Thus, either way, the speech either literally came first or turned a molehill into a mountain. <coughs> Excuse me. However, this can be done to our advantage. I gave you examples of just what? I gave you examples of cynicism, pessimism, right? But it could be also the other way around. So this could be used to our advantage in two ways. Number one, we can go ahead and speak the way we want to be. Kind, caring, compassionate, optimistic. By simply daring to speak that way. Number one. Number two, if speech enhances, then silence diminishes. So even if I am pessimistic, if I can just bite my tongue, it'll actually diminish my pessimistic attitude on life. Okay? So just that you know, this lecture is based on a mimer, a Hasidic discourse delivered by the Rebbe Blessed Memory on this Shabbos in 1965, exploring the power of the produce of the fifth year, following the first three years of Orla and the fourth year of Netaravai. So as an introduction, we're going to talk about now just an introduction. You know that Parsha's Kedoshim is one of the hardest Parshas, if not the hardest Parsha, to give a class on. And I'm not talking about this type of class. I'm talking about literally to just explain what the Parsha is talking about. Because in one verse, you can have two or three mitzvahs. Honor your father and mother, my Shabbos observe. You know, and this goes on through the whole Parsha. So you have an unbelievable amount of mitzvot. And, and we don't even know what the connection is. Rashi sometimes tells us that when it says that you should uh, be in awe of the Holy Temple and keep Shabbat in the same verse, it's telling us, Rashi says there's a connection here, because even though I'm, I'm telling you how important the Holy Temple is, don't build it on Shabbat. Uh, Rashi also tells us, sages tell us that when it says honor your father and mother and keep Shabbat, it's telling you that if your father and mother tells you to desecrate the Shabbat, you should know that the words of the teacher, i.e. God, the words of the student, i.e. your parents, which come first. So there is, but not always do you have these connections, and it's really hard. So we're just picking one topic, an agricultural topic, and I'm going to share with you what it is, okay? In the notes, I actually gave you the whole long version of it, but in orally, I'm just going to give it to you in short. So the law is that on the first three years of produce, it's called orla. You're not allowed to eat it. On the fourth year, it's called netaravai. You're allowed to eat it, but only in Jerusalem. You have to take it to Jerusalem or sell it and take the money, whatever it may be, okay? If you're too far. And then the fifth year is the first time that you can actually eat your fruit wherever you are. By the way, the fourth year, not only does it have to be eaten in Jerusalem, you cannot eat it if you're impure. If you went to a funeral, uh, yeah, you can't eat it for seven days until you go ahead and you do the cleansing process. Okay? So here we're saying that there's a five-year period 
the first three years, the next year, and then, by the way, Nachmanides, not part of this class, Nachmanides is very interesting if you learn his commentaries on the Torah. One year I just decided to go through the whole Torah also with Nachmanides. Very interesting because he was a Kabbalist, he was a therapist, and he was a, a, um, a doctor. Nachmanides and Maimonides had very similar Nachmanides talks about how the first three years is a certain stickiness to the moisture of the fruits which is unhealthy. So he actually looks at it from a, a medical point of view as well. But anyway, just putting that in there. But simply speaking, the first three years is Orla. The next year is Netaravai. First three years is prohibited. Fourth year is permissible only in a state of purity in the holiness of Jerusalem. And then you have Vashona HaChamishis. In the fifth year, you can eat it wherever you want, in whatever state you want. Okay? In the state of purity or impurity. Okay. Now, by the way, just to let you know, when we talk about the years, three years, four years, five years, it doesn't just mean years. This is where Tu B'Shvat plays a big role. Tu B'Shvat is the new years for the site. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the whole question, why is it Tu B'Shvat? And the answer is because on Sukkot we do the water thing and the water affects the trees. It takes that amount of months to affect the trees and that's why from the 15th of Tishrei to the 15th of Shvat and so forth and so on. Okay? But anyway, that's just all side stuff. We want to talk about the class. Okay? Okay, so I want to read to you the specific, the specific wording of the verse that comes on the fifth year. So, the verse says, And in the fifth year you may eat its fruit. Do this in order to increase its produce for you. I am the Lord your God. And Rashi has rules. How come certain mitzvahs Hashem adds on those words? Ani Hashem. Ani Hashem lekecha. Rashi has his rules. But what I want to focus on is the words, In order to increase its produce for you. So, in other words, what we're saying here is, that the reward for keeping the first four years, meaning that the first three years you don't eat at all, the fourth year you ate in a state of purity in Jerusalem, the reward for doing that is that in the fifth year you'll have increased produce. Hashem will, thank you, Hashem will reward you, right? Now, by the way, let, let's first get to the Kabbalah and Hasidus. On a Kabbalah and Hasidus level, when it says in the fifth year, it will be increased, he's talking about in a state of holiness. Which means that the fifth year is even holier than the fourth year. We need to understand this in a moment, but let's just be clear. On top of that, you should know, Kabbalah also sees that when it says in order that it increase your produce, it's not just talking about increasing the fifth year, it doesn't just cause an increase in the fifth year's produce, it also cre it creates an increase in the fourth year's produce. Now, according to Kabbalah, that means that not only is the fifth year's produce holier than the fourth year's produce, it actually brings an increase in the holiness of the holy fourth year of produce. Now we need to understand this. First of all, on the level of Kabbalah, we're taught that the first three years represents the three worlds of Bria, Yetzirah, Asiyah, which is creation, formation, and action, the lower three worlds. Now, in these three worlds, there is the existence of possibility of evil, and evil can nurture from there. Thus, we're told, don't eat those fruits. 
in Bria there's mostly good and, and, and majority good, minority evil. In Yitzira there's 50-50. And in the world of action, especially where we're in, there's a majority of evil. Thus, because evil can nurture from these fruits, therefore, stay away from them. What is the fourth, fourth year? The fourth year represents the world of Atzilut. You familiar? You ever learned Tanya Chassidus? So in Atzilut, just to tell you practical, I, mean, I just wanted to get practical. If you remember, we spoke about these four worlds and then, then we're going to talk about how they reflect the four letters of a God's name. But just for practical, creation is ex nihilo, something out of nothing. What that means to me is, what does it mean something out of nothing? What does that mean? So what it's going to mean for us today is the paradigm of that I am a somethingness which means ego, separation. There's God and there's me. And this develops even into a deeper sense of ego in the world of formation. Not only are you a mass, a something, a X from the helo, you even have your this defined form. Then you have the third level, which is the action, which is the three-dimensional, where it's already into narcissism. It's a whole, that's already blown away. Okay? That's what we talk about. The potential of ego is the potential of evil. That's what it all boils down to. We'll talk about that at the end of the class. Okay? The world of Atsilut, the word Atsilut has one of two meanings. When God took the 70 elders from Moses, it says, Vayatsil, and he brought forth from Moses unto them. What I'm saying here is that there's nothing new. In the world of Atzilut, it sees itself as nothing more as a divinity brought forth from God. There is no I. There's God and God is everything and everything is God. In, in, in a form of a novel, a novel thought, it learns that Bereshah's Baral Akim is Hashemayim Vesar is God created heaven and earth means that there's really a world. But from its perspective, there is no really a world. For if God is everything and everything is God, there's just manifestations of divinity on different levels. Thus the world Atzilus is holy. Another way to learn the word Atzilut is from the word Etzel. What does Etzel mean in Hebrew? It's next to, close by, nearby. And thus again, the word Atzilut means it's close to divinity. It's called in Kabbalah and Hasidus, the world of divinity. Thus, therefore, the fourth year, which represents Atzilut, has to be eaten in a state of purity and in Jerusalem, because it's holy. It's Atzilut. Okay? No. <laughs> so what is the fifth year? How can that be? If it's holier than holy, so if holy we have to eat in a state of purity. And in Jerusalem, holy of holy, we should have to eat on Mount <laughs> on the Harabayas, on the Mount of the Holy Temp Temple Mount, and, and not just pure, but in a state of holiness. And yet it's not. So how can the fifth year be holier than the fourth year? Holier than the first three years, understood. But how can it be holier than the fourth year? If this is considered mundane and this is considered holy, how can mundane be holier than holy? On top of that, how can we say that the mundane makes the holy holier than it is on its own account? How can mundane give holiness to holy? Okay? Okay, those are the two questions and we're going we're gonna to talk about that later on. Let's go to another introduction. Story time. In general. 
Hasidim always had a very strong infinity towards stories. How much more so if a Rebbe told a story in the middle of a discourse? That's like a double whammy. Very unusual, but that is very precious. In this mimer that I'm basing in 1965, Bashana is the fifth year, so this mimer, the Rebbe tells a story, and he's repeating a story of a dis in the discourse that he built his discourse on, which was the discourse of the previous Rebbe. And then from there it goes to the Lukutatar. So what is the story? So the story is told as follows. It's in the mimer. The Baal Shem Tov, before he became revealed, he would travel around dressed as a simpleton, a villager. No one knew who he was, no one knew his stature of holiness, his, his scholarliness, anything, his piety. One of the things he would do as he was dressed as a villager is wherever he would go, he would ask people, no, how's it going? How are your kids? How are this health? How are you making out with the bills? And why would he do this? Because he very much cherished what Jews would answer. What did Jews answer? Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Parenthetically speaking, Moshe Landau, in Israel, Bnei Brak, when he came to the Rebbe in the lifetime of his father, the Rebbe asked him, how's your father doing? And he answered, Baruch Hashem. The Rebbe said, I know Baruch Hashem, but Baruch Hashem good or Baruch Hashem not so good? <laughs> it's always Baruch Hashem. But that's what Jews answer. Baruch Hashem. How's everything? Baruch Hashem. It's a very Jewish way of pleading the fifth. But anyway, the point here is that when the Baal Shem Tov would ask someone about their situation, the first thing they would do is thank God and bless God for whatever they have. No, one time he comes to a village and he meets a parush. Now in this village there was a parush. The word parush means separated, isolated. Okay? What does it mean? This person for 50 years didn't talk to anyone. He had a separate room in the shul. He would come in the morning. He would study Torah all day, not have any conversation with anyone. At night, after the evening services, he would break his fast and eat just bread and water. And that went on for 50 years. Can you imagine who this person was? Not only that, it doesn't say this in the story in the Mimer, but when I was told the story as a child, I was told that this Parish not only didn't he want to talk about anything but Torah, he didn't want to see anything but Torah, and therefore he would wrap something around his eyes and a child would walk him home. He wanted nothing but the four cubits of Torah and its holiness. No, the Baal Shem Tov goes into the room. Remember, the Baal Shem Tov is dressed up like a simple villager. And he starts asking this Parish, know how are you feeling? How's it at home? How are the kids? How is the finances? And this guy's not answering. He's ignoring the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov keeps on asking until he just goes, no. He points to the door, showing the Baal Shem Tov, leave. And the Baal Shem Tov said, why are you not giving God, Kaviyachal, so to speak, his parnasa, his sustenance? Now he's already, okay, what's going on here? This guy's a villager. He's talking to me about us giving God Parnasa. He ended up very confused. Like, what is this supposed to mean? And I, so he went and he, the Baal Shem Tov, sensing his thoughts, said to him, the Jewish people sit upon the sustenance of Hashem. 
And on which sustenance does God sit on? That's why King David tells us in a verse, Va'ata Kodesh, and you, Holy One, Yoishev, you sit, Al-Tehilas Yisro, you sit upon the praise of the Jewish people. Hashem's parnosa, Hashem's sustenance is when Jewish people praise Him for the physical goodness that they have in their life. There's another manuscript in which the wording that he said was, just like when a person doesn't have sustenance to live, the soul can separate from the body. So too, if you don't give God his parnasa, God will leave the world. And this is built on the Medrash that says, just as the soul fills the body, so too does God fill the universe. So just like without food, the soul leaves the body, you should know without giving Hashem his parnasa, Hashem is going to leave the world. That's it. Now in this question we have a couple of stories. Number one, the parish was learning Torah. Isn't Torah sustenance for God? The study of Torah? I have to interrupt you from studying Torah to talk to you so you can get to say Baruch Hashem for having food and a roof over your head. And if we say that there has to be the Baruch Hashem, learning is not enough, there has to be the Baruch Hashem, then why couldn't the Baal Shem Tov talk to this holy man about things that made a difference to him? How fortunate it is that you are in a position where you can study Torah all day. Obviously his wife was making a living or something, I mean, whatever. It's, not everyone has that opportunity to sit and learn. And he could have said, Baruch Hashem, that I, I have Baruch Hashem, I'm talented, I'm gifted, that I could understand what I'm learning. Baruch Hashem, I can live a life where there's nothing in my life but the holiness of God and God's will and God's wisdom, the Torah. No, the Baruch Hashem speaks to this man who, only, who fasts all day and only breaks his fast on a minimal amount. And a person who doesn't talk and doesn't look and doesn't see and only sits in the study of Torah, the Baruch Hashem has to try to get out of him a Baruch Hashem for... That he has clothes on his body. Talk to him in his language. Two questions. We'll talk about that. Okay? Now that we have these two introductions, the laws of the fifth year and the laws of the... Okay? No, I just was thinking that that's such a holy moment, though. I'm sorry, what? That was such a holy moment that if you got the part to say, yeah, but Hashem, I do, or even just for him to think about it, yeah, but he doesn't speak to anyone ever, that means he never says... He never says Baruch Hashem. Okay. Or even, or even like, maybe he's so focused on the Torah that he's not realizing the oil that he's in and, like, and the nature. And, the, and let's even say yes, but if it's so important to have gratitude to God, don't you think it'd be best to have gratitude for that which is important to you? If I would tell you, say Baruch Hashem, the Patriots won, you'd look at me like, Patriots won. I don't. I really don't care, right? Well, you understand that talking to him about his health and his food and, and his house was like talking to you about the Patriots. Because that was just to him, okay, I, I, this is what I am, but really what I am all about is Torah study. So even, that's what I'm saying, even if it's so important to have such a holy moment of saying Baruch Hashem, but at least speak to him in his language. That's the second question, and we'll, talk, and we'll discuss it. Yeah, obviously onto something because the Baal Shem Tov specifically wanted to say Baruch Hashem and specifically Baruch Hashem about the physical benevolence and grace that God gives him, not a spiritual benevolence that he gets from God. So therefore, you're onto something, but we need to understand. 
in fully, okay? Okay, now that we have these two introductions, we know that the fifth year is holier than the fourth year, and it even gives greater holiness to the fourth year. And we know that Baal Shem Tov was even willing to, by the way, just that you know, when someone's learning Torah and you interrupt him, you're committing a sin. So the Baal Shem Tov interrupted him from studying Torah. So we're obviously we're seeing that the word Baruch Hashem and Baruch Hashem about the physical is more important than even studying Torah. And thus the Alter Rebbe, the, just the Baal Shem Tov didn't take him from doing something holier to something less holier, but like Yusuf was suggesting, the Baal Shem Tov took him from doing something holy to doing something holier. And now you can already see the connection. A Baruch Hashem about the mundane is holier than the holy. The fifth year is holier than the fourth year. Now we're getting a picture of where this is going to go. Okay, let's talk about the three topics in the Hasidus and the Kabbalah that we need to talk about and explore, and then we'll, re we'll bring the class around. So, the first thing we're going to talk about is God's sustenance, the power of speech within ourselves and others. The second thing we're going to talk about is called Dira B'Tachtoinim, bringing it down. And the third and final thing we're going to talk about is feeding the Torah. We're going to feed the Torah, making holy even holier. Okay, let's understand the first thing. Okay, we're on page four. Can I bother you for one of you to give? You're good? Okay, not a problem. Okay. Okay, so you have it there. Okay, let's talk about the first thing. Let the amazement of Hasidus begin now. What does it mean God's sustenance? What does it mean I have to give Parnassa to God? Right? So to understand this, I'm going to share with you another story. The story is of the Alter Rebbe of Shnei Zaman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad, the author of the Tanya. And he was the student of the student of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov student was the Magid, and the Magid student was the, uh, the Alter Rebbe. So the Alter Rebbe very often would have to raise funds to take someone we call Pigeon Shvuyim, to get someone out of prison. And the reason is because the landowners of old, if you couldn't pay them the rent, they would throw you into a ditch. That was literally what it was. And you'd starve to death there unless someone came and paid up your debt and you were able to get out. So the Baal Shem Tov would very often be going around collecting money for this pigeon shvuyim. No, the Alter Rebbe had Baruch Hashem chsidim that were affluent enough to be able to help him. And he would go to them, he would tell them, this and I need this and this amount of money. And even those who weren't that affluent, each one would give their little bit. Everyone, you know. But in the shtetl, as would be, there's this one person who's a miser, a kamsen. And everyone is surprised to see that the Alter Rebbe is going to knock on whose door? On the kamsen's door. Like, why? Alter Rebbe, why are you going to subject yourself to that? You have so many people that would lovingly and, 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 and happily. But the Alter Rebbe knocks on the door of the miser tells him the story of the person and the family and the person, the father is in the ditch and how he's supposed to raise money, we need to get him out. And uh, the person, you know, begrudgingly, he gives the Alter Rebbe a ruble. And the Alter Rebbe starts telling him, thank you, you're such a kind person that was so gracious of you, you didn't even have to do this and you're doing this to help another Jew. And the guy tells the Alter Rebbe, wait one second, I'm going to go get another ruble. This scene plays itself over, plays itself over, plays itself over until... This person, the miser, ended up giving the whole ransom money, the debt, that would get this man out of, out of the ditch, out of prison. And later the Alter Rebbe explained himself. And the Alter Rebbe explained that a person 
has within them every Jew King David gave a ruling that every Jew has three signs Baishonim, Rachmonim and Goim Lichasodim they're timid they're compassionate and they do acts of kindness this miser being a Jew also had it in his DNA the problem is that it was deeply hidden in his DNA and once he started acting like a miser everyone called him a miser when you call a person a miser you kind of cement it's a, it's a prophecy it's kind of cementing that the person is a miser he knows that everyone expects him to be a miser and calling him a miser only fortifies and exaggerates his being a miser thus the Alter Rebbe said when he gave me that one ruble that was the one moment that I was able to start watering the little plant and by telling him how kind that was and how gracious that was what it did was it connected this miser with his compassionate and giving side and it started developing it and growing it and thus the outcome was as the outcome was okay now now that we understand this this story oh, here's the question why do words of speech have such an impact on a, on a person, whether it be self-talk or other talk. In other words, when I talk about myself, I'm such an idiot. Oh my God, I'm such a rotten person. I'm such a mean person. How did I do that? So the same way that it was affecting, the Altareba's speech was affecting the other person, our speech affects our own thing. By the way, just that so you know, I didn't put this in my notes, but I actually watched this. You can see it on YouTube. They actually did testing of what happens to the crystal of water, the molecules of water, depending on talking to it. They actually had written notes. They did a test, a scientific test. This wasn't like a do 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 do. This was a test they did. They took glasses of water and they put notes. Ugly, beautiful, kind, gracious, mean, dark. The words, just the energy made a different formulation in the crystals within the water whether it was sharp edge or not this was a scientific test you can look it up on youtube with, with plants it's the same way with music yes 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 Yes, but let, let's just get back to the class, but I just want you to know that there was actually a tribe that when they had to bring down a tree, they would do that. They wouldn't chop it down. They would go around it and just keep on shouting negative things on it. By the way, you know that the human body is mostly water. Imagine what happens when you look in the mirror, you're so ugly, you're so fat, you're so stupid. Imagine. Just that negativity. Okay? Now, let's go further. We want to know why is it that words... By the way, in affirmations, self-talk, thinking positive affirmations does not have the effect like saying positive affirmations. What is the power of speech? So to understand this, we're going to go into a discourse series of the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, Rabshon Dovera of Lubavitch, and in the year 5659, Tov Reish Nun Tes, he delivered a series. Now, if you say the words Reish Nun Tes, you pronounce it Ranat. 
and it's known as in the yeshiva of the Bavacha boys, they, they talk about Ranat. They learned Ranat. Okay? Now, with that being the case, in Ranat he talks about what is this about speech. To understand what he talks about there, I'm going to have to give you a quick tour through the faculty's infrastructure of the, of the human soul. So, first of all, I want you to know something very interesting. When you talk about the four categories that exist within creation, how do you define them? Doimim, silence, is the inanimate. Tzomeach, growth, is the plant. Chai, living, is the animal kingdom. And then how do you refer to the human? Medaber. Medaber, the speaker. In other words, we define the specialty of the human being not in his gift of higher intellects and higher emotions, but of his power of speech. Very interesting. Why? So now let's talk about the infrastructure of the person. So what you have in the person is, let's start from the top down. You have what we call the crown. The crown is made up of two dimensions. They're circular, they're infinite, and they have no specific place in your body. One is the power of will, and one is the experience of pleasure. Let's talk about this. You can have pleasure from a massage on your foot, you can have pleasure from music in your ears, and you can have pleasure from understanding a toysvus, <laughs> whatever it is. Power of will. You can have the power of will to run a triumphalon. You can have the power of will to study higher mathematics. So these are circular and infinite. They're in no specific form. Then you have the higher linear finite faculties. And that is the intellects. Namely, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Then you have the seven lower emotion faculties. Now, the first six, and I, I wrote them out for you if you want. Emotions are love, awe, compassion, endurance, gratitude, commitment, and regality, kingship. Those emotions are the male dominant predator emotions. And then you have the last one, regality, kingship, is the feminine mystique. Those, those are the seven emotions. After the seven emotions, you have the next one, which is the next level, which is called garments. The garments are through what the soul expresses itself and experiences that which comes in. And that is thought, speech, and action. So you have the crown, you have the body of the soul, the head, the three intellects, the body is the thoughts, is the body is the emotions, and then you have the garments. Now, within this, what are we saying? That the garments is the lowest, right? The highest of highest is the infinite circular, the power of will. Nothing stands in the way of the will. And then you have the intellect, and then you have the emotions. The lowest expression, the lowest connection to the soul is the garments, right? You know, it's a lot easier to change clothes and buy bigger clothes than it is to lose weight because the body is more connected. The garments are just more external. Within the garments itself, within the garments itself, thought is called the undergarment. It's the one that's closest and fittest to the soul. And then you have speech. So how can we say that it's a garment that has the deepest connection with the soul and within the garment itself it's the outer garment, not the inner garment? Thus the fifth Lubavitcher explains that the power of speech, the words you choose, the articulation of words 
It comes from the most deepest root within the soul. Thus they're called Medaber, the speaker. Why so? Because understanding and feelings that come from understanding is of the lower intellect, within the intellects itself. Within wisdom, there is the tangible wisdom, there is the abstract subconscious wisdom till the point where we refer to seeing. Then there's the place which is called the Chachma, the wisdom that does not even know itself. From there comes the source of speech. Now you'll understand, you learned in Yeshiva, you'll understand how can we have such great extrapolations why did this person say this word and this person says this word they seem to be synonymous but they're really not why we the sage was trying to say something you, you, you're now getting uh, okay you said this word not that word so much so that we want to know why is it said Adon Olam and not Rabon Olam when we refer to God as master of the universe in conversation what do we say Rabon Olam we don't say Adon Olam so why in prayer do we say Adon Olam and not Rabon Olam? They both mean exactly the same. But the reason why we're extrapolating from the choice of words is because we understand that the choice of words comes deeper within the soul of this sage than his actual intellect that he taught us about the Torah. Thus the wording is even deeper. Okay? Now we understand why the greatest power within the soul is the power of speech because it manifests itself it's a manifestation of the deepest essence of the soul in a level where the soul does not even consciously know itself now we understand why the speech is the one that drives more than anything by the way over there, in that talk, it's not in my notes, but in the, over there, the, uh, the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe takes, takes issue with whether when you're angry it's good to talk or it's good to stay quiet. And in therapy, everyone tells you, talk it out, talk it out. And I'm not going to say don't listen to your therapist, but I am going to say that definitely you need to wait till it simmers down. Because talking about it is just going to re, and you feel it. It regurgitates and fans and, and exasperates. Power of speech is very powerful. For me to tell someone you're a miser is not a good thing to do when I'm trying to solicit him. For me to tell a miser that, oh, I heard that you once donated to, to, to this place. and I, Yeah, I donated what? I donated $18. But yeah, but that's beautiful. That's, that's powerful. That's a power of giving. That would help the person like the Alt Rebbe did. And therefore, when your child is being a Vildachaya, a wild animal, calling him a Vildachaya is not going to help. It's contrary to what we do. When someone does something foolish, telling him, you're such an idiot. How many times do I have to tell you? Are you stupid? Not smart to do. Quite the contrary. Good parenting, good teaching is... To be able to find that one moment that you can give this Vildachaya a compliment and to shower on lavishly that compliment that the kid's almost convinced that he actually is a good kid. <laughs> but it's not just that he's convinced. It's because within him there is goodness, but it's locked in. 
Thus we now understand that the power of speech is a power of sustenance because it connects you to that which is hidden within you and it helps it grow, it draws it forth, it helps it grow and it helps it develop. Okay? Now, now let's see how this works with God. What are we doing with God? You should know God is really kind. The fact that he's acting like a miser and he's making me so poor, it's because I have to do what the Rebbe did. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Right? To understand this, we need to understand one word in the verse that I quoted to you from King David. It doesn't say, It doesn't say you sit upon the praise of the children of Israel. It says, And you who are holy, sit upon. Right? What does the word holy mean? Let's make it even more interesting. What does a groom say to his bride in order to get married? When he puts the finger on, Hareat? Mikudeshet. What's the root of the word Mikudeshet? Kadosh. What's he telling her? So interesting enough, in the weekly newsletter that went out, I also discussed it, but there I spoke about it with the concept of loving your fellow Jew. But over here, I want to talk about it just in a plain, simple concept. What does Mikudeshet mean? What it means is he's telling the woman, until now, you were marriageable, available in marriage to anyone. Anyone. I mean, obviously not the ones you're not allowed to marry. Family, whatever. <coughs> but from here on, Hareat Mikudeshet, the word Kadosh means separated. Kadosh Umuvdal. You are separated from everyone in marriage unto me. So the word Kadosh means separated. So what does it mean when the Dovid Amela, King David, uses here the word Ve'ata Kadosh? The point he's trying to make here is, that Baal Shem Tov tells us, is that God's parnasa, God's um, chair, what he sits on, what keeps him, is Tehillah Israel, is the praise of the Jewish people. If that be the case, then why, what's, what does it make a difference here to say Ve'ata Kadosh? Could have just said Ve'ata Yoshev, the Israel. But the Baal Shem Tov is telling us, I'm sorry, the Dovid HaMelech, according to Baal Shem Tov's teaching, is telling us something. The word Kadosh means separated. What does that mean? That means that all of the world was brought into existence through the finite ray of the expression of the infinite light. However, there is the infinite light itself is above and beyond. Ve'ata kadosh. The essence, the infinite light itself, the essence of God, even beyond the infinite light, is above and beyond sustaining and creating and vivifying this world. From there came a ray. Now, this ray was within the light, right? Originally was within the light. The finite within the infinite is impotent. What can the finite do within the infinite? Thus, the fact that originally everything was kadosh, everything was separated, it was within, hidden within, the job to do is to connect with these different attributes of God, 
when we call him compassionate, when we call him kind, when we call him just, when we call him mighty. All of that within the infinite, what just, what mighty? Those are all descriptions. You can't give a description to God. That is point-blank idolatry if you gave God a form and a shape. Even if it isn't physical, even if it's, you're God, you're smart, not stupid. Well, I just committed idolatry. How can I go ahead and give God a definition of smart? He's above and beyond. When I say God is smart, I'm not talking about the essence of God. I'm talking about the attribution, the emanation which shines forth through that filter system called wisdom. But originally, before the rays came out, the rays were within. Within what? Within Kadosh. So everything was separated. Now we understand that the words of praise, when I say in prayer, God, you are compassionate. What am I really doing? What I'm doing is I'm connecting the attribute of compassion of God. I'm connecting with it, drawing it out of the Kadosh and bringing it into my life. Thus you now understand that when we talk about God, when we pray to God and we praise God, people ask me, really? God is so insecure? He needs to say, he needs to hear everyone say every day, you are holy, you are kind, you are compassionate. That has nothing to do with God's need. God has no need. What it's all about is that I should draw this specific attribute of God within my life through praise. Because the power of speech of a Jew, re of the soul, reaches into the Kadosh of Hashem and draws it out. So to speak, just like the Alter Rebbe reached into the goodness within the soul of that miser and brought it out. That's the power of speech. Speech has the power to dig in and bring out. And once it's out, it has the power to magnify it, to develop it, and to grow it. Thus, from the perspective of Hashem, He's no more kind than He is strict. Thus, when I pray and I talk about God's kindness, that's what I'm doing. I'm connecting with that specific finite ray of the infinite light and bringing it into my life. Now we understand what it means, the parnasa. Not typed out of my notes because it was getting too long. But I want to share with you, now you even understand the other, the other transcript of what the Baal Shem Tov said. Just like if a person doesn't eat, the soul leaves the body. If we don't praise Hashem, we don't give Hashem his parnosa, he leaves the world. Now you understand what it means. Instead of the rays shining outwards into the world, it'll return back into the Kadosh. Because that is the nature of where they belong. The finite ray of expression originally and belongs within the light. The fact that it shines outward takes a doing. What is that doing? We now know it's the power of speech. Thus we now understand what we accomplish when we pray. It's not about God's having our prayers as much as it is about God allowing us, giving us the secret of how to draw specific different attributes of God into my life. Thus when I say Baruch Hashem, 
I'm bringing out that God blesses. God is blessed and God blesses. Okay? But this doesn't answer the other question yet. This doesn't answer the question, okay, so you have to bless God. But why did it have to be about the physical? He's talking to the parish. 50 years, this guy didn't look. He used to cover his eyes when he walked home. He had a kid walk him home. He didn't say a word that wasn't either Torah or prayers. That's all it was to him. His life was spirituality. Why did the Baal Shem Tov have to dafke talk to him about his physicality? Why did the Baal Shem Tov dafke have to get a Baruch Hashem out of him about his physicality? Now we're going to go to the third, uh, the second topic that we're going to talk about is that is Dira Betachtoinim, bringing it down. What is the reason that God created the world? So just that you know, when we talk about the purpose of God creating the world, it can't be a necessity because God has no needs. Thus, I quote you from the Medrash Tanchuma, from the Medrash Rabbah, and uh, the Tanya in chapter 36. He says, the reason why God created the world is because he desired that we make for him a dwelling abode in the nether low, the physical realm. So it's a desire, right? Obviously, God has no needs. What is the desire? To understand why he desired, you can't understand why, a desire is a desire. But let's understand what he desired. He desired that not that his abode should be within the celestial, not it should be within the spiritual, but it should be specifically here within the physical. Why? So one of the explanations given is, is because spirituality in the face of God is desecration. What spirituality can there be that would be not a degradation to God? From God's perspective, spiritual is, is it's, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be a finite, pale embarrassment of a reflection of God's spirituality. Thus, the explanation they give is that the novelty of physical and to have God in our physical world, that's a novelty. That the angels pray and the angels have consciousness and all of that, no. But me and you that are trying to make a living and that are concerned about whether we look good or not and are concerned about how we're going to pay tomorrow's mortgage and how we're going to pay the rent and we should focus that God is the center of our universe and become transparent to God and let God work through us, that's a novelty. Thus the difference, angels are perfect. We're precious, because we're a novelty. In the books of Kabbalah, we're compared to the talking parrot. Of course the king loves talking with his biggest, smartest advisors, but there's something precious when the parrot talks. I, does the parrot understand what it's saying? Do we really understand the word of spirituality? When we dive into Hashem, when we praise Hashem, we have any idea what that means? When we do a mitzvah, do we really understand what that does in the highest spheres and the yichudim and the unities and the influences? We're like a parrot, but there's a novelty to it. Number one. Number two, there's another teaching. When you lift a building, you want to lift it from the basement. Because if you lift it from the first floor, the basement stays down. Thus, if we're going to elevate the universe, we've got to elevate it from the basement. We are the basement of the universe. Two explanations given why God wants the physical. And that's why God told the, told the angels, uh-uh, I'm giving the Torah to them, not to you. 
Why? They're imperfect. They're going to mess it up. Yeah, that's what's precious. Okay? Now, that we <coughs> sorry. Now that we understand this, that it's all about the physical, now we understand that Dira Betachtoinim has to be done specifically in the physical. Now, what we're saying over here is that the fourth year's fruit is spiritual. The fifth year's fruit is mundane. Where is God's desire in the physical, not in the spiritual? The real, the, the real desire and, pre and pleasure of God is not when we are all holy and we go to Israel and we eat the fruits in Jerusalem. No, we are impure. We are dealing with our own issues. And we're outside and in, in America. And over here, we're remembering to make a bracha, to thank God and to, 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 to eat like a mensch because we're sitting that our table is our altar to God. That's what's precious. That's the beauty of it all. Thus, we now understand why the fifth year is the ultimate holiness, the ultimate preciousness of what God wants. Because if God's telling us, I want you to leave your home and go to my home in Jerusalem, that isn't the complete manifestation of Dira Betachtonim. That isn't really getting into the low, into the physical. It's specifically when I'm doing my stuff in my way, at my home, and there I invite God into it. Now we're talking. No. So now we understand how the fourth, how the fifth year is really what it's all about. Not the fourth year, we have to take the fruits to Jerusalem, but really in your home, the fifth year. That's what the Kabbalah is saying when it says the increase, the produce, is because the fifth year is really where it's all about. That's the desire of God. That's the fulfillment of the purpose. Okay? What, so we're saying that the fifth year is the fulfillment of the purpose. But it's not holy. The whole reason why it's so precious is because it's not holy. So how can we say that it's holy and it even enhances the holiness of the fourth year. True, I agree, I understand now that this is what God wants. But there's two things. There's the fulfillment of the purpose and there's the status of holiness. The fifth year isn't holier. It's the fulfillment of God's plan which is specifically not in the holy. Bring me into your life, not just come into me. So we still have to understand that. For that, we need to talk about the next and last thing, which is feeding the Torah, making holy even holier. Okay? So we mentioned earlier that the fourth year's produce represents the godly world of Atzilut, that it represents spirituality, and that it represents Torah study, while the fifth year's produce represents the physical, praising God for the physical goodness in our lives. Now let me give you one more twist. The four years and the four worlds represents the four letters of the ineffable tetragrammaton. God's name. The Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. The first three years represent the lower, the last letters, which is He, Vav, He. So that's understanding, male predatory emotions, and feminine mystique. Right? Now, why would that be? We said before that Bria is the beginning of evil because it's the beginning of ego. Ego begins in the understanding. I understand. I start hearing myself. 
The, the fourth world is the, the, the fourth year, which represents the, fourth, the world, the fourth world, the world of, of divinity, the highest world. That is the Yud. Yud represents wisdom. Wisdom represents humility. Understanding represents ego. I roll up my sleeves, I understand. Wisdom represents humility. Wisdom, you literally feel that something just dropped. Whoa, I never thought of that. That's wisdom. Now, to understand this, we need to ask, what is the fifth year? We have four years, right? Four years. We have the hey vav hey, which is the beginning of ego. Be careful with it. Don't eat it. That's orla. And then we have the fourth year, which is the yud, humility. That's divinity. But what happens to the fifth year? So I, made a, I printed a picture of how we write a yud here for those online. This is how you write a yud in the Sefer Torah. The yud must have, no, it's right there. It's on the page you're holding. Look at the bottom. The yud must have what we call, if you look right over here on top, it's written tag. The other page, the page you were looking at. Right there. No, the no, no. Right there. Right there. Right there. So right here, this dot, this little crown on top is called a tag. It's called a crown. Now the yud must have that. That's part of the shape of the yud when you write the yud. This tag, according to Kabbalah, I told you that the four letters of God's name represents the ten emanations, right? You have the last one is the feminine mystique, kingship, and then you have the vav, which is the sixth, numerical value six, is the six male predatory emotions. Then you have the hey, which is the understanding, the white, the right, the three dimensions. And then you have yud, the dot, which is wisdom. The crown on top of the dot represents what we call the supernal crown. Within the interior dimension, the inner dimension of the crown called Atika Kadisha, the holy ancient one, lies what we refer to as the essence. The fifth year is the essence. Now let's talk about this in the sense of Torah study. Torah study is the fourth year. Making a bracha, praise, is the fifth year. How does the fifth year give holiness to the fourth year? The answer is that we're taught that the Torah is the book. When a Jew makes a bracha before he studies the Torah, blessed are you God who chose us and gave us your holy Torah to study, what we're doing is we're bringing the author into the book. We're bringing the essence into the defined wisdom and will. The Torah has what's right and what's wrong. That means that it's finite in the sense of it's a very clear description. This is the boundaries and this is outside of the boundaries. This is the obligation and this is permissible. So when you take the Torah in itself, and many people unfortunately fall into that, it becomes about the Shulchan Aruch. It becomes about the do's and the don'ts and not about God. The whole point of the Torah is that it's God's Torah. Making it God's Torah and not just an unbelievable piece of intellectual masterpiece is by making a bracha before you study. Thus, when you make a blessing on the Torah, you're bringing the essence of holiness, the fullness of holiness into the holy. The Torah itself is holy. But when you bring it and connect it to the author of the Torah, when you make the Torah not about what's written about in the Torah, but about who wrote the Torah, 
That's why in Chassidish Yeshivas, but before you start learning, you always use the words. Zok Tehillah Gemara says the Holy Gemara. That's a, like making the bracha. Guys, don't get caught up right now. This is not Spinoza. This is God's work. Thus, when we bring the author of the Torah into the Torah, we're making holy holier. Thus, we understand now what's going on here when we say that the fifth year makes the fourth year even holier. We need to take it to the next dimension. How did the Baal Shem Tov stop this person in the middle of learning to talk about Baruch Hashem that I have clothes to wear? But here again, the bracha you make on Torah is a Baruch Hashem about the spirituality of Torah. That we were fortunate enough, chosen to receive his Torah and study it and fulfill it and observe it. Why the physical? There's a teaching of our sages. He who says, I have nothing but Torah, has not Torah either. Even Torah he doesn't have. What does he have to have? Torah and acts of goodness. Physical acts of goodness. What is the teaching here? What does the Mishnah say? This man of 50 years of studying Torah didn't have Torah. Well, he couldn't, he couldn't rattle off to you the whole shas. What, what is the Mishnah saying? Here was a parush who can clearly say, I have nothing but Torah. So what do you mean he doesn't have Torah? Say that you're not doing what God wants you to do. But you can't take away the, the, the fact that he has the Torah. Ah. Torah is the wisdom of God. How can the human mind ever wrap itself around the wisdom of God? Thus, whatever his understanding of the Torah is the human perception of the Torah, which is not what the Torah really is saying. The only way you can truly understand God, what God is saying in the Torah, not what you're hearing, but what God is saying, is when you're doing it to fulfill the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God creating? Not the purpose of God. The purpose of God creating the world and giving us the Torah. What is the purpose that God created us and gave us the Torah? To make a dira betachtoinim. To make physical divinity. Thus the Baal Shem Tov is saying here, not only are you not fulfilling the ultimate purpose, even your life's goal is not being achieved. Because you're studying the Torah only through the powers and capacities of the human mind. The human mind can never digest and wrap itself around the spirituality, the divinity of Torah, what God is saying. So the only way to make your Torah true Torah study is by getting you to fulfill the purpose for which God gave us the Torah. Because then God gives us the power to understand the Torah so we can fulfill our purpose. Thus he had to put about Shantav had to pull the parish into saying Baruch Hashem about the physical. So not only does the fifth year bring the author into the book of the fourth year, but even the book within itself we don't really understand it until we do the reason that God gave it to us, which is to be a physical mensch. Okay, let's close it up. I'll read it to you. In closing, guard your tongue. In closing, we now see how imperative to guard our tongues in choosing what we say and how we say it. 
What we say draws forth and develops different attributes, capacities that we have within us. What we don't say will help us diminish undesirable attributes that may presently be quite dominating within us. So too it will bring out specific attributes within the other people in our lives. Additionally, how we talk about God will also connect us with and draw different attributes of God within our lives, whether it be compassion and kindness or justice and retribution. Do I really want to talk about God, that God is retribution and justice? Don't I want to talk constantly about God being kind and compassionate? Compassionate. Because that's what I want to connect with and that's what I want to draw into my lives. So let us talk kindly about ourselves, about others, and about God. Thank you.